You're listening to the Psychedelic Invest Podcast, where we speak with founders, CEOs, investors, advisors, experts, and thought leaders in the brave new world of psychedelics and entheogenic medicines. Brought to you by Psychedelic Invest, bringing you unparalleled psychedelic investing data and analysis. Psychedelic Invest is the industry's leading resource for those looking to invest in the burgeoning psychedelic industry. For more information and to access all of the podcast episodes, check out our website at psychedelicinvest.com slash podcast. And now here's the host of the Psychedelic Invest podcast, Bruce Eckfeld. Welcome, everyone. This is the Psychedelic Invest podcast. I'm Bruce Eckfeld. I'm your host. Our guest today is Yuri Blocken. He is founder and CEO of Homecoming. We're going to talk about the world of psychedelics and psychedelic therapy. And one I think is the biggest challenge, or at least one of the big challenges in the development of uh, psychedelic assisted therapy is how do we really support the industry? We have all these people with potential kind of applications or conditions that um, we're finding are addressable using psychedelic therapy, but there's a lot of them. Uh, And we don't have a whole lot of people who are trained, who are able to actually provide psychedelic assisted therapies. And so one of the big challenges in the industry that I think a lot of people have been focusing on is how do we really grow and scale that side of the business? We can can create all these kind of interesting pharmaceuticals and, and molecules and compounds, but actually getting them into the hands of the right people with the right context and the right support and the right process is, is a big challenge. And so Homecoming is really focusing on that and in some really interesting ways. And so I'm fascinated uh, by this area of psychedelics, uh, and I'm excited to hear what Yuri and his team are doing at Homecoming. So with all that, Yuri, welcome to the program. Thank you for the kind introduction. I'm uh, very happy to be here. That's a pleasure. Before we get into what you're doing with Homecoming today and, and everything that's going on in psychedelics, let's learn a little bit about you in the background. How did you get into this? What was your professional background? Give us the story. Of course. I always find it very important to share the personal story when building a new relationship in psychedelics because it tells so much about the intentions and reasons why somebody's getting in such a unique uh, space. So I grew up in Ukraine, but moved to Canada about 20 years ago to Toronto to study mathematical physics at the University of Waterloo. And by the end of my studies there, I ended up staying in the country, got recruited as a first employee by a Canadian tech startup called Kick Messenger. It yeah. became one of Canada's first tech unicorns. I spent about eight years there as an engineer, as a product manager, as a BD executive. Had a chance to try all the possible startup hats. And the most meaningful part of the story, though, was like when in 2015, I had a chance and privilege to create with a team of brilliant engineers, a peer-to-peer support network for mental health crisis that worked across all social media. We could uh, detect in real-time crisis happening. We could detect uh, the severity of the crisis and reach out proactively and help that person right there, right then, with very high efficacy and scale. Fascinating. So we helped two million teenagers in the U.S. Yeah. With this approach, Harvard did a study on this skill, on this approach in terms of scalability and efficaciousness. But for me, this was a kind of wake-up call and realization. I want to spend the rest of my career just doing the work at the intersection of mental health care and technology. And uh, in parallel to all that work in uh, tech, which is quite standard startup trajectory, I also was involved with psychedelics for 17 years now, first as uh, many of us in the space, it was individual capacity. About 10 years ago, I was uh, very lucky to heal the decade-long depression with uh, ayahuasca. And and since then, I was on this personal mission. How do I learn more and uh, support the graceful integration of these these medicines into the fabric of modern culture? 
Uh, so this led me about six years ago to join as a founding team member in Nonprofit, which was just been forming then, called Heroic Hearts Project, which is now a leading nonprofit in the space for veterans with PTSD, yeah. access and psychedelics. Uh, so I spent a number of years with that team scaling access to psychedelics and the integration therapy for veterans across Canada, US, UK. And uh, it was really through that work uh, that the realization that something like homecoming needs to be created came to me because no matter, even if you're able to provide access to those psychedelics, it's really the preparation, integration, the whole therapeutic or, or coaching container or the working alliance as the industry term, that's where the sustainable change lives and how to scale that given that like, this time is so expensive and scarce, like there are only so many pra trained practitioners. Yeah. Of course, technology cannot ever replace the role of a therapist and the coach completely. That's not desirable or possible in my opinion, but I think technology can enable coaches and therapists to spend all their time in their zone of genius, actually doing the client work and taking away all the more tedious or unscalable tasks that enable the transformation. Things like checking in between sessions and structuring the time between sessions and unlocking some of the more logistical administrative work or measurement work, all of that, there's room for technology in the therapeutic process. And that's exactly what homecoming is uh, aiming to resolve. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious, given your, you know, kind of tech background and having, you know, had quite a bit of success in previous companies, what were you able to kind of translate, transfer from those experiences into the work at Homecoming, and then and what didn't translate so well? I'm always curious, like what hey. as people get into kind of psychedelics, what what is you know what what yeah. you can what you can move and what you can't. A few things, uh, say like one of the more obvious uh, things that was transferable uh, for me, given my prior engagement in the kind of with the use of AI in mental health care and tech was the role that AI is not there to replace the human. It's there to augment and amplify the human judgment and therapeutic judgment of a trained practitioner. And the moment to try to quote unquote replace, that's where you hit some profound limitations on efficaciousness and even impact because uh, something that machines will never be able to do is empathy. And empathy is the number one ingredient of a therapeutic container of therapeutic process. And it's beautiful that machines cannot do it because it means it will be jobs <laughs> for humans. I wouldn't want to live in a world where AI is generating empathy. Yeah, uh, interesting. Yeah, another uh, transfer, no, actually another element that was maybe less transferable from some of my work in the kind of social space, but maybe was a bit more similar to some of the insights in the fintech space I've done, uh, was that uh, you need to be mindful when you're building in an, in an industry that is a startup itself. Um, because yeah, you you try. basically are like you're a startup within another startup. Yeah, which, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, which kind of squares your sort of risks and uh, your business model needs to be incredibly anti-fragile and resilient and needs to have some caveats for what to do if the industry itself is not growing fast enough or uh, the way you predicted or mm -hmm. modeled it in your fundraising. Yeah, but that one's interesting. I, I, I certainly find that, you know, startups are hard enough, right? And and dealing with scenario planning and, you know, I love that you use their term anti-fragile, but I, I, how do you actually take advantage of and and create opportunities around that uncertainty or that that variability is is big but then yeah when you're when you're doubling it up you're you're an early stage and an early stage it's it's even tougher what what were some of the surprises as you got into psychedelics more on kind of the business side like what what were the things that you didn't anticipate or the things that you had to learn quickly that you weren't necessarily yeah. prepared for yeah uh, being a sort of classic tech product guy when i got into uh, psychedelics on the business side I had to do a lot of catching up and learning around the biotech side of things. I never personally predicted it's going to be such a big space, just like 
based on the number of texture, biotexture that's trying to build around the same few classic molecules. Coming from more from a kind of community and uh, plant medicine world, it felt like there is really no need for so many different biotech pursuits. There have been already uh-huh. classic psychedelics out there, and as far like building the licensure and credentialing and infrastructure of how to del- deliver those, that was sort of my initial assumption and mindset. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there was a con- there was all terra incognita when I had to kind of catch up on how trials work and how biotech business models work and like the odds of their success and the fifth, yeah. uh, all that. So that was really new for me. And I, I still can't say I'm really fluent in that world. I kind of stick to what I know as a, which is technology infrastructure and tooling for mental healthcare delivery itself. Yeah. And I'm, I'm always curious from kind of product strategy point of view, what was your first thought or your first kind of thesis hypothesis around how, like what problem you were going to solve, how are you going to solve it? And then how did that evolve as you actually kind of, you know, started working on things, got feedback, you know, brought things to market? Yeah, absolutely. The initial instinct for uh, from a product strategy perspective was actually with me for a number of years. I'd say as far as 2014 is when I started thinking about homecoming for the first time. And the and opportunity that was ripe for me was this extension of the therapeutic lines beyond the four walls of a therapy hour outside of the session itself and supporting, creating a support structure and guidance and clarity and a feedback loop in between the sessions because uh, transformation happens in the fabric of day-to-day life. That's what every therapist would tell you, but then it's so easy to kind of spend a day or two after a session and losing all the momentum and insight and clarity and mm-hmm. kind of just like chug along until the next session and kind of lose that all that precious time and insight in between. Yeah. So for me, it felt like that the psychedelics are supercharging this opportunity because from personal experience, I could tell that, say, after coming back from Peru, after ayahuasca retreat or dieta, you have this like, two, three months of period of incredible neuroplasticity and incredible window yep. of opportunity where you have both the insights and energy to kind of truly do sustainable change in your life. And if you miss out on that kind of window of opportunity, the time is not linear. Like the next three months are not the same in terms of therapeutic yeah. potentials. And so yeah. anything goes in terms of maximizing the impact of those first three months. That's sort of my simplistic model. Mm-hmm. And that's where I saw the opportunity to support time in between sessions to maximize the value of the time. That was the initial assumption. And uh, what evolved beyond that is uh, the idea, the insight that even though this is valuable and resonates with most practitioners, it has to tie back also to some kind of more pragmatic realities of their practice. And uh, yeah. kind of it needs to connect the dots from that perspective to translate the model from a nice-to-have tool for the best-in-class practitioners who truly care and want to spend money on client transformation beyond the basics. And uh, connecting that to their practice success and their personal brand and personal professional success and their ability to grow, that to me was the big insight of probably the last six to eight months where I was like thinking, how do we go beyond creating value in client transformation and really grounding this in more pragmatic considerations that kind of created this as a, as a sustainable, complete package for any practitioner. Yeah. What is the, what is the quote? Uh, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, there's always work to be done. Like regardless of, of where you are from a, you know, kind of a developmental point of view, you still have to kind of get the block and tackling working and, and, yeah. uh, and running well. So. Um, and so where, so I guess, where, where are you from the business point of view? Who are you actually helping? Like, where are you seeing traction? Like, where do you feel you are as a business? And where do you feel the industry is in terms of the, the problems you're solving? Yeah. So as everyone in the industry, in this time and place, 
there's a need for a critical lens assessing the business model and the space overall and be more conservative. And so we have started by focusing on what seemed like a very immediate and obvious market opportunity, the two legal segments of ketamine clinics and the plant medicine retreats. What we have learned through that process is that that market, even those two markets together, they're still pretty small and nascent and evolving. And uh, also they're pretty fragmented in, their, in terms of their own needs as well. And each clinical retreat is slightly different from one another. And it was really hard to uh, come up with one consolidated offer that kind of serves all those entities in a way that's like valuable enough to create sustainable business for us. And yeah. uh, uh, while in the previous markets, companies would just cruise through time and raise more, obviously, like that's not the case since uh, the Russian aggression has happened last year. Mm-hmm. And it really has forced us to assess, okay, what else, how can we go beyond strategically? And what became a breakthrough for us uh, as a team is that we noticed that the very tooling that we're building with almost no change or minimal change can be used in therapy and coaching as a whole and in integrative therapy and coaching. And that was a big aha moment for us because we realized that there is no need for us to be just like stuck with this mindset that we're a psychedelic only yeah. company. And we have a much bigger opportunity to inflect the entirety of how therapy and coaching is practiced. And uh, psychedelics can still be our core market segment where we begin, where we have the roots. Like in, like in fact, we have uh, gifted 10% of equity of, the, uh, of our company to a pool of 10 psychedelic nonprofits. So we have very, very deep yeah. support in the ecosystem and that's our home. But we can also kind of expand beyond. And in fact, by doing this, we can help accelerate and legitimize the psychedelic community and ecosystem by blending the, the world of psychedelics and non-psychedelic care, by blending the medical and mystical kind of ends of the spectrum and creating a community of practice for all integrative coaches and therapists who are supporting their client transformation. They're growing in community with one another as practitioners by sharing resources and insights and best practices and collaborating on those and growing their reputation this way but also measuring and promoting the quality of their work and expertise based on the client transformation and the community impact versus slick marketing, nice headshots and optimized SEO. And what do you, what are you finding in terms of like the, the, the support that you can actually provide? I mean, I, you, you, you know, sort of talked about supporting the practice and the process, but what, what is it that you actually do with the, you know, with the, with the application, with the software in terms of, you know, logistical support or, you know, either back office support or actually the supporting the therapeutic process. Walk us through a little bit of, of some of the features or things that you're doing with therapists. Yeah. So uh, there are three pillars of value to the platform. The first one is a squarely focused on the client transformation in between sessions. And so a provider can customize and share a branded mobile application with their client. That is their sort of North Star, their companion for the whole therapeutic or coaching process. And after each therapy session or coaching session, the core product metaphor, the core product offering is the ability to have the structured follow-up after a session with all the core insights, resources, action items, and the ability to kind of monitor that progress for a provider and interact with the coach or therapist in a kind of boundary, kind of informed way for a client. And so this is uh, the number one sort of like product pillar of uh, a platform. It's this customizable companion app that drives a branded and supportive experience for clients of a coach or a therapist and driving data on that too. <laughs> the second pillar is a community of practice where, uh, as I have mentioned in the uh, follow-up workflow, providers can share resources and uh, instructions and 
what we have learned in the process of co-creating this product with a couple dozen of practitioners, because really that's how we work. We really don't just sit in a room and come up with ideas. We work closely with practitioners and listen to them and distill from them what's needed. And so what came up is uh, that uh, there's a lot of appetite for them to collaborate on these resources and learn from one another. Like they're not really cagey about it. In fact, they're excited to share and yeah. educate others and build their reputation this way too. So that, to us, that spoke as an opportunity to create a community of practice across the medical and mystical, across the psychedelic and the transformational, across all these worlds and really create a meritocratic community of practice where your client transformation impact and your community contribution impact are the two ways how you can build uh, stature and profile in the community. Mm-hmm. And this leads to the third pillar. How do we connect all that kind of heart-centric work towards your clients and community into uh, some of the more pragmatic considerations of uh, anyone running a business? And the, uh, the idea, this uh, insight draw us to create a third pillar around measuring and promoting your expertise where we would know exactly which practitioners are driving the most client transformation, are driving the most community contribution. We can arm them with very beautiful branded artifacts they can then promote through their social, through their marketing materials. And this kind of shifts the tone of how to do marketing. Because for many practitioners, it's really, they feel inauthentic when they have to sort of promote for the sake of promotion. They would rather like let their work speak for themselves yeah. and align yeah. transformation with a new practice growth. And that is exactly the mission we're on. How can we help practitioners on one hand do better work, but that connect that to practice growth with the uh, artifacts of m- marketing materials, with the uh, landing pages, with uh, all other tools that are well-designed, branded, and can unlock practitioners to let their work convert for themselves, and they can focus on being in a zone of genius, coaching and therapizing. Got it. And, you know, I'm curious, we're, we're kind of using this term psychedelics, you know, as a catch-all, but, the, you know, there's so many different kind of aspects to these of, you know, whether you're dealing with plant medicine, animal medicine, lab-based molecules, you know, first generation, third generation, like there's, there's so many kind of permutations and combinations right now of this stuff. How are you seeing this play out? Like, I know a lot of folks are using ketamine, you know, as a current, you know, kind of compound to, to put into these, you know, assisted models, you know, and there's research being done on psilocybin, MDMA is starting to get clearance, right? Like you're, you're seeing different things that have pretty different effects and also, you know, really kind of change the therapeutic kind of process or the therapeutic model. How are you kind of navigating the, you know, the, the kind of multifacetedness of these compounds? Mm-hmm. So the way I think about this is that there are multiple tracks of how medicines uh, will get integrated into the fabric of day-to-day life. Track one is clinical track through trials. Track two is the plant medicine communal track through the DCRAM uh, initiatives and uh, de facto use that's becoming less and less enforced uh, from a kind of criminal persecution perspective and more and more culturally accepted. And from a clinical track, my non-biotech guy instinct is that uh, <laughs> uh, there are obvious uh, kind of parties like uh, maps and compass that will cross the finishing line sooner than anyone else and yep. will bring MDMA and psilocybin and there is room for maybe three or four more teams to cross the finishing line over the next few years with uh, some of the kind of niches that seem kind of intuitively, I can like, like them or not like this different, but like they intuitively seem like to make sense for some potential future users is that uh, there is a, a lot of work around like having shorter lived experiences 
Yeah. Uh, sort of the kind of the CEO trip, what some people joke around. <laughs> so there are companies, yeah, doing that kind yeah. of research, trying to have very short, effective uh, trips so you can have and kind of go back uh, to your day to day life. And uh, I think there'll be somebody who will get this done. I really like the team of Small Pharma. That's my my personal bet. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, uh, there is also research around uh, having non psychedelic psychedelic experiences. That's kind yeah. of uh, then again, like for somebody who is more of a kind of from the kind of plant medicine community, that all seems kind of crazy. But at the same time, the kind of the really pragmatic, ruthlessly pragmatic guy in me kind of sees how for some people this is a there's yeah. a need for that. Somebody will go for it. Somebody will pay money for it. Somebody will invest in it. Like it's like that's the reality. Yep. And my, my dad, I think somebody like the team that I personally think will do it very well is Transcend Therapeutics. So those are like the two bets I would be making. I don't have hold any shares in either of those companies. So it's just yeah. kind of personal observations. <laughs> We're not making stock recommendations here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, then also Beckley SciTech, that's something that I'm a very big fan of the approach that the team at Beckley does across the entire yeah. ecosystem. And I think they will certainly, they have probably some of the best, if not the best scientific teams. And I think they will be able to cross the finishing line with their 5-MEO DMT product. Yeah. And so those would be my my bets. I don't think we will have dozens of new psychedelics, but I think like five, six will get there. And that's probably more than plenty for, yeah. for this time and place. But then at the same time, there's already a much faster adoption curve happening in the underground or a gray area with the decriminalization movement really Is picking it? up momentum. And it's that's where I think a lot of accessibility, innovation, and kind of complementary innovation will happen with communal models of care, with peer-to-peer -peer support groups, and uh, with uh, people who are trained through the, the more traditional sort of like entheogenic lineages, uh, mm -hmm. indigenous lineage, lineages. And by now there's also critical mass of people who are trained, who are Westerners, who are trained in indigenous lineages, but came back to North America and they would raise another generation of Westerners who are trained by Westerners, and we kind of will cross that bridge between the cultures. And uh, I think this potential in terms of the numbers of people getting access to psychedelics in five years, this will be a much larger community than the more of a kind of clinical route, which will be probably prohibitively expensive and it will still take time for insurance to cover. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious, where do you see your affiliations? I mean, you mentioned a couple of different organizations that are working on kind of getting these things legalized and pushing them through clinical trials and policy legislation changes. Are you finding that you're developing relationship with these folks or are you just kind of letting things play out and then seeing where the cards fall, chips fall, and then you're going to, you know, kind of build product or, or design product around that? Yeah, it's a great question. We initially thought that we needed to be close to the biotech world and support trials. We then realized we don't have to be at all. It's like a multi-year process, but I have those years to kind of optimize around that. And what we decided to kind of draw a line around is uh, we support anyone who includes psychotherapy or coaching in their process. So if it's really kind of purely medicine-centric approach with just taking the medicine and not really pairing it with therapy, we're not really, that's not what we're optimizing around at all. And so our focus is to enable any psychotherapist or coach out there. And if it so happens that this person is working on a specific case of integrating psychedelic experience, like, well, nothing in the product really should change infrastructurally. It's really just the resources and materials. It's like, it's a different layer of abstraction or like the tooling we build will support all therapy and the resource ecosystem that will be built around this to support the variety of cases needed. And so our affiliations are more closer to kind of the real world use right now, where we like to partner with uh, training organizations 
which are uh, graduating alumni, and we're trying to kind of support that community of re recent graduates. Our affiliations are but the nonprofits. Like I said, we have donated equity to a group of almost every strategic and impactful team out there. Not there are many more, but like I think like the people we have partnered with are many of them are OGs in the ecosystem and have been very helpful to hold us accountable to the broader ecosystemic needs. So that's where we partner. So practitioner associations, training organizations. If like any of those two first organizations who will be like first to cross the lines so, of like maps and compass, like if like I mean in case of maps there is obviously a large psychotherapeutic component and if they would be open to working with us on infrastructure for that, of course, this would be a dream come true for somebody who was a fan of uh, Rick Dublin's work for like two decades now. Uh -huh. But we're not betting our entire company's existence on whether or not we can work with maps. Yep. And where do you see the future? I mean, I'm very curious where you're kind of anticipating the market going over the next couple of years. What are the big factors? That are kind of out there in terms of that un uncertainties, I guess, that you are waiting to see how they play out that are going to affect your strategy. And then how are you kind of supporting funding, you know, getting the resources capital to, to grow and build a business? Yeah. So our strategy is that we are focusing on the broader market right now of uh, all the integrative coaches and therapists, transformational coaches, like integration coaches. It's a much broader pool while at the same time still playing into the edge we have in this ecosystem and working with trainers, working with nonprofits, associations, and individual practitioners and building those tight communities with them, but not limiting ourselves to psychedelics. So that's our hedge against the nascency of the psychedelic market itself. And in fact, that's how we see accelerating the psychedelic market itself by connecting the dots between psychedelic community and non-psychedelic practitioners and helping the latter get into the psychedelic work too. And in terms of our story and our fundraising while we're in a strong cash position right now it's like even the current economic environment like it never hurts to like strengthen it even further to yeah because you never know how long will this last mm -hmm. and so we potentially will be doing like some like uh, later in the year uh, an extension round and uh, we have an excellent group of uh, current investors some of the most mission aligned and thoughtful people in the ecosystem integrated evolve adventures i met the fielding personally has invested JLS, Okama. Also, we have some strong backers in the Silicon Valley, SV Angel, for example, which backed as the first checks out of the kind of legendary yeah. companies <laughs> like in the world. Like, so like we, we feel very supported and very lucky uh, to have yeah. such a kind of strong mission line group of backers. But uh, I do see us opening up uh, some more funding conversations later this year for some extension cash. And our strategy is to focus squarely on like this much bigger market and grow traction in it and grow mode in it within the community of practice and uh, connect the results of client transformation, the impact of a community co contribution back to how this affects the bottom line for a practitioner and becoming a really the de facto operating system for any integrative coach or therapist in the world. Excellent. Yuri, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, more about homecoming, what's the best way to get that information? Our website is homecoming.health. And uh, I would like to shamelessly promote an offer that if you're a therapist or a coach and interested to use homecoming, I would like to make a special offer for listeners of this podcast at the, for a 30% discount for the first year of use. Just mention that you've heard about us on the podcast and just go to homecoming.health and sign up on the waitlist form. It only takes one minute to sign up. Very easy. So just go ahead and get the discount and would love to collaborate with you. And if you have any questions, just wrote me personally, write me personally at yuri at homecoming.health. 
So it's Y-U-R-I-Y at homecoming.health. That's great. I'll make sure the links and everything are on the show notes. Highly encourage everyone to take advantage of the offer and go check out the information. Yuri, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Likewise. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you for listening to the Psychedelic Invest Podcast. If you liked this episode, please be sure to leave a five-star rating and leave us a review. You can find more episodes on all the major podcasting platforms and our website at psychedelicinvest.com slash podcast. <laughs>